Welcome to First Baptist Church of Augusta. We're so glad you could join us for worship this morning. Here at First Baptist, we are a church that lives out the greatest commandment of Jesus, which is to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We believe that following the way of Jesus should make a difference in the world around us. Thank you for being a part of what God is doing at FBC Augusta today. Good morning, my friends. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, and in just a moment, we are going to read verses 22 through 34. And we're continuing on in our series in Acts this morning. And I want to remind you that if you have not been following along throughout the month of May, we are reading the entirety of the book of Acts, and there's a devotional guide that goes along with that. And if you've not been keeping up, you can go on our website, discoverfbc.org, click on the link, and it is incredible so far uh, what you all have written. So uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. As Justin welcomed you earlier, whether you're here in the room or watching online, I'm thrilled that you've chosen to be a part of us. And I want to remind you, stick around for a few minutes, uh, you watching online and here in the room, because at the end of the sermon, after we sing another song, then we're going to take a moment and ordain Dennis Giles as the newest deacon in the life of our church. And so we'll come back to that at the end of the service. But I want to begin by reading from the story of God and God's people together. So if you've got your Bible, you can follow along, and if not, the words will be on the screen. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did so so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that point, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul, and they believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Demarius and a number of others. So it's graduation season, and it has been just incredible for me to get to watch pictures being posted on social media of high school graduations and college graduations. It's just been really great to see all these celebrations. And y'all, I, I could not help as I'm seeing these photos but to be reminded of my very own graduation from the University of Georgia in 2005. And if you go into the Tate Center, what you will find is my name along with hundreds of thousands of other people on a plaque of all who have graduated from Georgia. 
Georgia. And I was there from 2000 to two, or 2001 to 2005. And I have so many just incredible memories about my time at the University of Georgia, right? Going to football games, uh, being pledging a fraternity, being involved in a number of different ways. And all those are really positive. But I've got really one memory that sticks out in my mind is one that isn't particularly good. And it's one that I experienced on a pretty regular basis. As I would walk to class, I would walk from my apartment, which was at Lumpkin Square, real close to campus. So I walked to school every day. And in order to get to a couple of my classes, I had to walk through the Tate Student Center. And when I would walk through the Tate Student Center, major kind of uh, hub where people are walking through all the time, it was normal, almost on a weekly basis, for me to run in to this guy. Do you know him? Have any of you ever seen, maybe not this guy, but someone like him? He's a street preacher. And he would stand up in the Tate Student Center. And again, it doesn't have to be this guy. There were hundreds of others that I saw over the course of my time at UGA. And he would stand on a soapbox and he would have a megaphone. And he would stand up and he would tell all of these college students who were walking to and from class just how terrible they are just how sinful they are, language he used that I think is absolutely inappropriate to talk about in this room, so I'm not going to do that. But his entire MO was that you are wicked, you are broken, God hates you, he hates you, and you are on the fast track to hell. This is what this guy's message was every single week. Any of you experienced guys like this, maybe at your college, even if it wasn't UGA, you guys watching online? I, I know that you absolutely did. It was common for this to happen. And, and the one thing that I will never forget about Bullhorn Guy standing on his soapbox is that as these students were walking by, do you know what you very quickly recognized? Nobody is listening to him. Absolutely nobody is listening to this guy because no one cares what he has to say. And you got to remember, when I started at UGA, I was not a Christian, and, and I will never forget thinking that there has to be a better way to talk about Jesus. And what is absolutely fascinating to me is that while Bullhorn Guy is standing at the Tate Center preaching condemnation and judgment and sin and wrath, I was at the same time taking classes in religion at the University of Georgia. Yes, we have a religion department there, right? And I began to interact with professors who were believers, and they began to teach me things about Jesus that I had never heard before. And I began to show up at a church, and I began to hear a message like nothing I had ever heard proclaimed about Jesus. I began to hear that Jesus was this person who talked about grace and kindness. Jesus was somebody who talked about the kingdom of heaven coming on earth. Jesus, this radical, revolutionary, provocative preacher that proclaimed the kingdom of God and how it was going to come. Jesus, who said that the day would arrive when God would renew and redeem and restore and recreate all things. Contrast that for just a few minutes with what I heard at the Tate Student Center. God is full of wrath and anger and judgment and hate. And y'all, the fact of the matter is, if we take the preacher from the Tate Student Center, we could put him in most churches, not maybe not most, but quite a few churches right here, even in our own city. And the reality is he would fit in perfectly. Maybe the verbiage would calm down a little bit, but the overall message that God is angry would fit in perfectly. And the fact of the matter is the, re the reason we have to talk today about how we talk about God 
The reason we're going to look at Acts chapter 17 is that that way isn't working. That way isn't working because, first and foremost, it isn't the way of Jesus. And while I was there at the University of Georgia learning about this new way of being in the world, learning about Jesus who isn't just concerned with what happens when we die, but He is intimately and intricately concerned with what happens right here and right now, I became fundamentally convinced of something that I will carry with me through the rest of my life. I became convinced of something that I hope we would agree with here in this church and for you watching online, and it is this, that the gospel spreads best not through fear, but through fascination. That the gospel spreads best not through fear, but through fascination. And the guy at Tate Center and far too many places that say they are following Jesus continue to spout anger and hate and fear-based religion. And the fact of the matter is, if the way of Jesus is going to be true to its founder, true to its Lord, then we have to re-embrace this fascinating way that He presents to us. And that, my friends, is why I want to look at Acts chapter 17 today. Why I want to look at Acts chapter 17 today, going back to why we're doing this series in the first place, is that I believe, I deeply believe, that the church in 2022, it looks increasingly like the church of the first century. And if we want to know where we are going in the future, then we need to take a look at where we have been. And so we today are going to look at Paul in Acts chapter 17 because the fact of the matter is, friends, I think, I think that Paul shows us a better way to talk about Jesus in 2022. Paul shows us how in a post-Christian landscape, that we can talk about Jesus in a way that engages people where they are. That's why I want to talk about this section of Acts chapter 17 today. That's why I want to spend a little bit of time. And so we're going to jump in and spend just a few minutes digging in to this passage itself. And then I want to draw out some of the implications of how this might matter for us. So Paul lands in Athens, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on how he gets there, but if you're not reading Acts, go and check it out because this stuff is absolutely fascinating. Paul, uh, I don't know if you know this, but when you go and you talk about Jesus with people, some are going to love it and others are going to hate you for it, and Paul is getting kicked all around the world. And he winds up in Athens in Acts chapter 17, a different Athens, not the one in Georgia, but the one in Greece. And Athens is the home of the great philosophical traditions. Athens is the home of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. It is the cultural center of the Mediterranean world. And so when he lands in Athens, this would have been a place that Paul as a Roman citizen, Paul as a guy from Tarsus, he would have known about Athens. He would have been so excited to land there and to experience a bit of their culture. And so what we read is in Acts chapter 17. Paul gets to Athens. He jumps off the boat. He looks around, and the first thing he sees are a number of temples, a number of religious sites, not only huge temples, but there would have been roadside, just little shrines put up to all the random variety of gods, whether it was Zeus, whether it was Dionysius, whether it was I could go on and on. But increasingly in the Roman world, which Greece was a part of, There would have been shrines, great, huge, elaborate temples to the Roman emperor. 
And one of the first things scholars believe that when Paul jumped off the boat in Athens, he would have seen this enormous gleaming temple with, with priests worshiping and giving offerings. And it would have been, this temple would have been dedicated to Caesar, to the great emperor in Rome. And at the top of this idol center and the top of the temple dedicated to Caesar, it would have said, here is the temple to Caesar who is our Savior and our Lord. The Greek, the Soter and the Kyrios. He is our Savior and Lord. And that runs in the face of everything that Paul had been proclaiming about the way of Jesus. And so Paul shows up in Greece imagining, wondering, what is it going to be like And the very first thing that happens is he encounters a culture that is absolutely full of idols. And Luke, the storyteller, says that when Paul looks around, he was greatly distressed with what he had seen. Now, I want to stop for just a minute. And I want to talk about this because we can look back on the time of the first century. We can look back on classical Athens and we can say, okay, yeah, yeah, they worship idols. How silly and ridiculous were those people? How primitive were they? And thank goodness we're advanced modern people and we don't do that anymore. Idolatry is a thing of the past. And if I could pause for just a moment and just tell you one thing, that is absolutely wrong. That idolatry in 2022 in our culture, it is alive and it is well. It is thriving in our world. There are idols absolutely all around us. One of my favorite pastors is a guy named Tim Keller. If you're not familiar with Tim Keller, he pastored a church, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City for a long time. And he's got this incredible definition of idols. He says that anything you cannot imagine your life without, anything you cannot imagine your life without, that is an idol. If it is anything other than God and you cannot imagine your life without it, it could be your cell phone. It could be your social media feed. It could be your job. It could be your children. Anything that you cannot imagine your life without, if the answer is anything other than Jesus Christ, what we believe is that it constitutes an idol in your life. And so idolatry, while we don't build these gold and silver monuments anymore, here's the thing we have to understand, that idolatry is alive and well today. And we can dismiss it and we can write it off, but the fact of the matter is we do that at our own peril. There's a preacher at Luther Theological Seminary. His name's Wesley Allen. And here's what he has to say about idolatry in our own age, that we live in a day of an individualized, privatized, cafeteria approach to picking and choosing what we like from different religious, political, and philosophical worldviews in a way that contains no logical consistency. If he could put it another way, here's what he says. We live in Athens. We live in Athens. And if Paul were to get off a boat in Manhattan and look around, he would see the idols of Wall Street, and he would see the idol of Madison Avenue, and he would see idolatry all around. And it is true in Manhattan. It is true in Augusta. And so, friends, we need to pay deep attention because the world that Paul was living in, the world that Paul was talking to, is so similar to the world in which we live And we can learn from him. 
about how he talks to the people of Athens. So he gets off the boat. And the first thing he does, as Paul always does, is he goes to the synagogue and he speaks to Jewish people. And Paul himself, he says, look, I'm Jewish. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was zealous. Like, if you want the top primo religious Jewish guy, I am that dude. And Paul goes to the synagogue and he's around people who speak the same language as him. And he talks about Jesus to people who would have understood him. But that's not the only thing Paul does. In Acts chapter 17, we read that Paul also then, at the same time as going to the synagogue, he goes into the agora. The agora is the marketplace. It's where every kind of everyday things are happening. And in a culture like Athens, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, it would have been filled with people absolutely all day long. And so on the one hand, Paul is going and he's speaking native language to Jews who would have understood everything he was saying, and yet at the exact same time, he goes into the Agora, into a place that is filled with people that know nothing of Judaism, they know nothing of Yahweh, they know nothing of Jesus, and Paul begins to preach the good news to them as well. Now, this is fascinating stuff to me, y'all. This is actually what I did my doctoral work on. So I want to hang out here for just a minute. Because Paul says, Paul talks specifically to two groups of people. He talks to the Epicureans and to the Stoics. And what did they believe? Because if we can understand what the Epicureans believed and what the Stoics believed, then we can have a better understanding of how Paul interacts with this group of people. The Epicureans were a group of Greek philosophers, and they basically, I'm I'm really flying at 30,000 feet here, but the basic view of the Epicureans was that maybe there were gods, maybe there were not. We don't really know a whole lot about them. If they are there at all, they certainly don't care about our lives. So the best thing we can do to quote the great Epicurean philosopher Dave Matthews is to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're all going to die. That's good news, isn't it? That's what the Epicureans thought. Try and live as virtuously as you can, but otherwise, just do your thing. The gods, if they're there, they don't care about us at all. That's who Paul is talking to when he says, these gods are not made with human hands. And to construct idols in their image is absolutely pointless. He's speaking directly to the Epicureans. And now, on the other hand, there are the Stoics. And the Stoics, in contrast to the Epicureans, they would have been more popular than the Epicureans. And the Stoics believed that inside of each and every one of us, there is a spark of divine energy. And God inhabits each and every person. And you can live into the fullness of the godlike nature. You have divine energy pulsing, not only through you, but the Stoics believe the divine energy was pulsing through absolutely everything. If I could translate the Stoics to 2022, they're Elizabeth Gilbert, right? They're Oprah, they're Deepak Chopra. They are the language of the day in which we live. And Paul What he does is he says, yeah, guys, I understand where you're coming from. I will even quote some of your poets. In him we live and move and have our being, and we are not far from him because we are all his offspring. Guys, this is absolutely fascinating stuff because Paul gets off the boat in Acts chapter 17, and he is deeply distressed 
with what he sees. And on the one hand, what he could have done is he could have run into the marketplace, he could have run into the agora, he could have gotten out his soapbox, gotten out his megaphone, and he could have become very easily, he could have become bullhorn guy. He could have stood up on a platform and said, let me tell you how sinful you are. Let me tell you how wicked you are. Let me tell you how going to hell you are. Let me quote the Bible to you until I am blue in the face. But here's the thing that Paul understood. That quoting the Bible to people who don't know it, quoting the Bible to people who don't hold it as an authoritative document, it doesn't mean anything to them. Paul could have stood up and told everybody they're going to hell, but guess what they would have done? They would have laughed at him. And they would have told him, man, go ahead and do your thing, but we don't have any energy from that. And the reason that we need to listen to what Paul says in Acts chapter 17, the reason that we need to engage with this content is because I believe far too many churches are still of the opinion that this is how we ought to go and evangelize. This is how we ought to go out in the world and talk about Jesus. And Paul shows us a better way. Paul shows us absolutely how we don't talk about faith, but even more than that, here's what I think we need to learn from Acts chapter 17. That while Paul is in Athens, here's what he does, and this is so important. He finds common ground with the people of the city. Paul finds common ground with the people of the city. And he lays out this message and he talks about Jesus and he talks about the resurrection and what happens as a result of that and with a result of him trying to seek common ground, trying to speak the lingua franca, the language of the day, is that people are intrigued with the gospel and what they say to him is, we want to know more about what you're doing. And so they call him into the Areopagus, they call him in, and he gets to give a presentation of the gospel. We need to pay attention to what Paul is doing and to what Paul is saying. Because if we want the gospel to flourish in 2022, if we want our church to be the best sort of place that it can be, then we need to re-engage with people exactly where they are to speak a common language, and to meet people in the space and in the place where they are. And increasingly in our own city, that is going to be disconnected from the church, walking away from Jesus. And are we willing to meet people where they are? As I read through Acts chapter 17, as I read through the book of Acts, guys, time and time again, the question that I keep coming back to is this. Is the church speaking a language that people can understand. Seriously, is the church speaking a language that everyone can understand? And if we aren't, the question is why. I will never forget, you guys, it was about six years ago. I was, doing, I was in my old church, in my last church, and I was doing these events in bars. I used to love doing these events in bars. I think I'm going to start trying to do them again here at some point in the future. And so what I would do is I would go down to this spot called the Monkey Barrel. And the Monkey Barrel was a bar in downtown Gainesville. It was the first spot that had craft beer, and it was inhabited with the motliest crew of human beings imaginable. And I would just go in there and hang out with the owner, Albert, and get to know the people in the bar. And one day I said, Albert, here's what I want to do. I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but I want to have an event here. And I want to talk to people about Jesus. 
And Albert, after a year of getting to know me, he said, great, you're up on Tuesday. And it was Monday. (laughs) And so, y'all, what I did was where the band would normally be, I just sat on a chair. I sat on a chair, and I put a bucket at the bar, and what we said is, ask anything. You can ask absolutely any question that you might have about faith, about politics, about life, about the church, and we had no idea what was going to happen. But fascinating, 24 hours later, there were 100 people in the monkey barrel. And I sat on a platform, and I simply took their questions, and I answered them with honesty. And there were multiple moments where I said, these are revolutionary words, I don't know. How refreshing is that? And what began with 24 hours notice over the course of a year morphed into a a twice-a-month event where I would sit on a platform, sometimes not just me, but with a Muslim friend. Sometimes I would sit on a platform with an atheist friend. And the the idea was the same. Bring your questions. Bring your doubts. Bring your concerns. Bring your anger that you have experienced as a result of the church and ask anything. And we will simply answer to the best of our ability because my general goal was to meet people where they were. And I will never forget this as long as I live, that the very last event I did, it was just me sitting on the stage, and at this point the place is packed out, y'all. It is slammed to the gills, and we started at 8, and we knew it was going to be a barn burner. We were there till 11.30 at night just answering questions and hanging out and enjoying our time. And as the night winds down to an end, everyone's going home, and I go up to the bar. And I go up to the bar, and there's Iris. Iris, the Catholic bartender. Iris, the woman who had been there, 26 years old, had been at every single event that I had done. And as everyone is leaving, I sit there with a glass of water in my hand, and Iris says, Will, can I ask you a question? I said, yes, you can. And Iris said, Will, I grew up Catholic, but I've not been to church for a really long time. I've really walked away from Jesus, and so I mean this with deep sincerity in my heart. I'm struggling with this question, and I trust you. And so, Will, I want to know, I don't believe in hell. Does that mean I'm going to go there when I die? And I said, that is the greatest question I have ever heard. And I looked at Iris with deep love for her, and you know what I said? Those refreshing words, I don't know I don't know the answer to that question, Iris, but here's what I do know, that Jesus is for you. And Jesus is just as concerned with your eternal destination as he is with the present state of your existence. And Iris, while you want to talk about hell when you die, Jesus wants to talk about heaven today. And how can you experience the goodness of God in your present life? And Iris, from behind the bar, three feet away, begins to weep tears of joy. And she says, Will, I want that for my life. And it didn't begin with condemnation. And it didn't begin with hate. But it began with the fascinating love of Jesus Christ. Paul met people where they were. And listen to me, if the gospel is to have a future, we will do the exact same thing. 
And Paul goes on to share the good news of Jesus with these people of Athens. And this is what I want to finish with, y'all, because yes, Paul meets them where they were. And yes, I did my best to meet Iris where she was. And you speak the language of the times and you meet people exactly in the space and the place where they are. But the thing I love about Paul and the reason we need to emulate him in our church is because this thing Paul never gives up on. The one thing that Paul is consistent, whether he's speaking to Jews, whether he's speaking to Gentiles, whether he's speaking to powerful people or those in the depths of despair, Paul, every single time at the center of his message is the resurrection of Jesus. It's the center of his message, and it is the center of ours. And far too many Christians sit down with unbelievers and they say, you need to believe the Bible, or you need to believe this political doctrine in order to be part of us. But what Paul is fixed on and what we are fixed on is that God raised this man from death, and he is now Lord of all creation. And I love this part. He looks at the, he looks at the people of Athens, and he says, God is going through Jesus to bring a day of judgment. And y'all, everybody freaks out at that word, right? Everybody freaks out of that word because we think it's a negative word. We're like, judgment, that's bad. But you know what? It's not. Paul says there will be a day of judgment when God will make things right, when the brokenness of our world will be made new, and racism will be no more, and classism will be no more, and sexism will be no more, and the degradation of our environment will be no more. God will bring a day of judgment, and it will be beautiful. And we can count on it because Jesus is alive. You see, friends, we meet people where they are. We meet people where they are, and when we do that and never back up on Jesus, the results can be extraordinary. So the question that I want to leave you with, the only question that I want you to wrestle with as you go throughout the week is this. How do you talk about God? Is it based in fear or is it based in fascination? Is it based in the old way that isn't working, or is it rooted in the love and grace of Jesus? How do you, how do you talk about God? That is the question that I want us to wrestle with today. Let's take a few minutes now, my friends, and let's pray together. God, we are grateful. We are grateful for another day where we can come and we can celebrate you, where we can be in this space, and God, we live in a world that is filled with brokenness. We live in a world that is filled with idols. God, our world looks so much like Athens. And today, Lord, help us to think like Paul. As we, your people, called by you to go out and share the gospel with the world, how do we do it? And God, on this day, instill in our hearts a vision, a passion that says this gospel is good news and it is worth sharing with the world. God, your way isn't about anger and hate, but it is about generosity and grace. God, for our church, for each person in this room, for each person watching online, give us the audacity to believe that the gospel is worth sharing. God, help us to be your people in this world and continue to be with us now as we worship you, O Lord. We love you. This is our prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for worshiping with us today. We hope that you've experienced the presence of God and walk away empowered to make a difference in your community by sharing the love of Christ with those around you. We invite you to visit our website, find us on social media, or better yet, stop by one of our Sunday services, 9 a.m. for contemporary and 11 a.m. for traditional. Have an amazing week. See you next time.